Good morning. My name's Matt. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here. And um, good to see some new faces this morning. Make yourself at home. We do have a potluck today after the service. If you didn't bring anything, please stay. We got plenty of food. I can smell it right now. So maybe that'll motivate me to go a little shorter today, huh? Don't count on it. Don't count on it. All right. Wow, I've never... I've never gotten that big of a response on anything I've ever said up here. It's, it's interesting. Okay, uh, so we're in Proverbs, and uh, today we're talking about pride and humility. And humility is kind of this Christian buzzword, but for good reason, because it's all over Scripture. I've, I've heard dozens of messages on it, given a few in my life, in fact. Um, we know it when we see it in other people, but what does it mean? And what does it actually look like? Is it being a wimp? Is it being shy? Is it being overly quiet? If so, I'm out, okay? I, as, as well as everyone else who identifies as, as more of an outgoing, extroverted type person, you're like, yeah, I want nothing to do with that if we're talking about being shy and being a wimp, being overly quiet. I, I love Proverbs because it's super practical. So for several weeks, we're going through Proverbs chapters 10 through 30, and we're going after it thematically, because as you read it, it kind of hits all over the place. So we're kind of um, consolidating the the, the themes together, the major themes in here. And so we're going to see today, within these chapters, three things that prideful people do, and three things that humble people do. And you're going to see that all three are quite the opposite of being a wimp or being shy, or being quiet. Now, I I always tremble at the responsibility to bring God's word to anyone, but especially this week, because who feels qualified to talk about humility? And if they do, then they shouldn't be talking about it, right? I've worked hard to live this out, to grow in humility, to pursue humility and reject pride, but I'm still still very much in the process, and I have lots to learn and lots to grow in. So thankfully, we're hearing from God and his word, so you can just kind of tune Matt out today, and we'll just kind of lean into this spirit today and what what he says. I'm grateful this morning for our elders. We're an elder-led church, and so all of our elders, we don't just make decisions for the church, but we shepherd people. All of these guys... um, have a group, a men's group, or connection groups. They're, they're actively shepherding and loving on uh, people in our church. And so I'm grateful for them today, and I owe a lot of this message to their insight and their wisdom as we looked at these scriptures together. So um, if I could have our elders stand, just so you guys know who these guys are. Um, so we got Greg Picklap here. There's Randy Shaver, Tim Ellis, and you probably saw Kevin Lambert on your way in. He's running hospitality. Let's give them a hand. These guys, get to know them. If you don't know them, get to know them because they they are wise and they are humble and, and guys that you could learn a lot from and I have myself. So let's get in, let's get into it today. So three pitfalls of prideful people. Number one, they ignore correction. And so, in contrast, humble people accept correction. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18. 
I'll be using the CSB today. 13, 18. Poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore discipline. But the one who accepts correction will be honored. This verse is saying that there are terrible consequences for ignoring correction. Namely, poverty and disgrace. Poverty. You may be thinking, well, I I know some incredibly rich people who ignore correction all the time. So how is that true? Well, poverty and disgrace come in many forms. So it could be poverty of peace or joy. It could be poverty of friends because they won't listen to anyone. They feel very alone. It could be poverty of the greatest treasure that we just sang about, Jesus Christ himself. But poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore correction, ignore discipline. I remember one time a few years ago, someone came up to me after the service and said, hey, can I talk to you? Yeah, that'd, that'd be great. Let's talk. So we get to talking, and um, they, were, they had some critique of the message that I had just given. Um, and I'm ashamed to admit that I, I, got, I got pretty defensive and uh, explained away their critique. No, you're wrong. This is why I did it. And that person left our church shortly after. Poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore correction. I try hard to just listen and accept critique now. That was a terribly stupid mistake of mine. In in fact, I invite you to do the same. If you have something that I could learn from and grow from, I, I welcome it and invite it. There's terrible consequences for ignoring correction. But accepting correction has great consequences as well. It has honor, it says. The one who accepts correction will be honored. Honored by God and by others. See, favor comes when you resist your old sinful self and accept correction. But it's not what comes naturally. We all want to ignore and resist correction. No one likes it, okay? But when, by the Holy Spirit's power, you accept and you listen to correction, it says, honor comes. Let's look a few verses back in chapter 13. 13, verse 10. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. Now, uh, one of my favorite commentaries on the book of Proverbs is by a guy named Tremper Longman III. What a great theologian name, right? Tremper Longman III. I feel like you just have to say it like that, right? But he said this, Arrogance is a pride that will not listen to other people, especially criticism of behavior or thought. It's a pride that won't listen to other people. That's what 1310 is saying. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife. When we ignore correction, we're being arrogant. And this often leads to arguments. It leads to strife. It leads to defensiveness and blame shifting. I didn't hurt you. You hurt me. You know, those are the types of things we do and we say when we're being arrogant. We won't listen to other people and we just turn it on them. But notice the contrast in this verse. Instead of arrogantly ignoring correction... We're called to accept correction. Wisdom is gained by those who take advice. We have a choice whenever someone brings correction to us. We can dismiss it by by fighting or by 
flighting and creating more problems, or we can listen to it, consider it, and become more wise. Let's look now at chapter 15, verse 31. This one I thought was especially insightful. 1531. One who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. This is a great measuring stick here for wisdom. Do I listen to rebuke? Now look at the qualifier here. One who listens to life-giving rebuke. So it means we're not listening to rebuke and correction that has no basis and, and clearly is just meant to tear us down. However, don't be so quick to throw out any rebuke that you receive, even if you feel like they really have bad intentions. Because they might be right, or at least partially right, even if they're coming at it the wrong way. 99% of rebuke I have received in my life has at least had a sliver of truth in it. Sometimes it takes me longer to see that than others. When you receive correction, what's your response? Do you go, thank you, I'll consider that. Or do you go, you're way out of line. How could you say that? See, this theme of humility displayed in accepting correction is, is one of the most prominent themes in the whole book of Proverbs. So I want you to just listen to God's word for a second and, and let the Holy Spirit soften your heart to accepting correction because there is several other verses and I just want to read them and I've got these ones up on the screen for you. So 10 verse 8, a wise heart accepts commands but foolish lips will be destroyed. 10:17, the one who follows instruction is on the path of life but the one who rejects correction goes astray. 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates correction is stupid. Wish they were a little more upfront there. 13.13, uh, 13, the one who has contempt for instruction will pay the penalty, but the one who respects a command will be rewarded. 15.12, a mocker doesn't love one who corrects him. He will not consult the wise. 1532, anyone who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. 1927, if you stop listening to correction, my son, you will stray from the words of knowledge. 2512, a wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. Just look at this and I think, wow, what, what an overwhelmingly Loud, clear, but difficult word from God. So if you're serious about wanting to grow in humility, if you're here this morning and God himself is nudging your heart and going, hey, I want you to grow in this. Here's my challenge to you. Don't just wait for correction. Invite correction. Start with one person in your life who, who knows you well, perhaps your spouse, and just ask them, hey, I'm trying to see some blind, blind spots in my life and grow. Would you be willing to meet up and share with me an area or two that I could improve in? Maybe, maybe the action step today is that you text one of your friends and say, hey, could we meet up? I just want to improve. Could you, could you share with me some blind spots or one, just one or two? 
And I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done myself. I've done this a handful of times in my life. And I can tell you this, it's always hard to hear. And it's always hard to just sit and listen. And to, but it's even harder to change <laughs> after you hear it. But it's an incredible way to grow in wisdom and humility. Invite correction. Second pitfall of prideful people. They elevate themselves. But the habit of humble people is they are elevated by others. So, Proverbs 25, 6 and 7. Don't boast about yourself before the king. And don't stand in the place of the great. For it is better for him to say to you, come up here, than to demote you in plain view of a noble. Jesus taught something very similar in the Gospels. Prideful people elevate themselves and then end up looking like fools. I immediately think of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. See, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and Daniel, who's a man of God, interprets this dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, and he warns him. He says, hey, you are full of yourself. Repent. Turn away from that. Daniel implores him, hey, you... You can, you can prevent this from happening. Your whole kingdom doesn't have to come crashing down. And your whole kingship doesn't have to come crumbling down. But look at Daniel 4. Look at this on the screen, 28. All of this in his dream happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, picture this, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? You can just see him there, right? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, a great voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with wild animals. And you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. And he gives them to anyone he wants. And at that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Talk about humbling there. If you pridefully elevate yourself, you will be humbled. But 26 verse 12, Proverbs 26 verse 12, continues this thought. It says, do you see a person who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So here's what this is saying. What is worse than being a fool? Right? It says there's more hope for a fool than for him. A person who elevates themselves and views themselves as wise is worse than a fool. See, Proverbs, if you read through the through the book of Proverbs, it speaks terribly about fools over and over again and about foolish behavior. But this is the lowest you can get. Worse than a fool? Here's what's worse than a fool. Self-deception. Deceiving yourself into thinking that you are wise. Deceiving yourself into thinking that you are humble. Elevating yourself. 
Look a page or two over at 27 verse 2. This is what the humble do. 27.2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Here's the way of humility. Instead of elevating yourself, let others do it. Humble people don't sing their own praises. If you're elevated at all, which doesn't happen sometimes, but if you are elevated at all, let other people do it. And at the end of the day, we don't need elevated by others. Our acceptance, our worth, our belonging, our status is found in Christ and Christ alone. We are his sons. We are his daughters. What he says about us matters. You want to grow in humility? Don't just let others elevate you. Elevate others. The New Testament is full of this teaching Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Saying here, consider others more important than yourself. Look to the interests of others. Humble people elevate others. When you're tempted to elevate yourself, Look around and look for opportunities to elevate someone else instead. C.S. Lewis said this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So it's not this worm theology, I am terrible. No, no, no. You're created in the image of God. If you're in Christ, you're a son, you're a daughter of him, and you are precious and loved. But it's instead taking the focus off you and putting it on them. third and last pitfall of prideful people is they're confident in themselves. But humble people are confident in the Lord. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says this, All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs hearts. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs hearts. We often feel so smugly self-assured. I'm right because, well, I'm right. Prideful people are very confident in their own abilities and their own efforts. They don't need anyone else's help. But when you say that, when you say, whether out loud or in your mind, I don't need anyone else's help, you're actually saying, I don't need God. The problem is that God defines the rightness of someone's actions and character and heart. We're, we're sinfully blind to our own weaknesses and imperfections. There's always blind spots in our thinking and our character and our hearts that we're not even aware of. Jeremiah 17.9 says it like this. He says that our hearts are more deceitful than anything and sick beyond cure. Our hearts are more deceitful than anything. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs hearts. See, confidence in yourself is shaky and unfounded at best. This, this mentality of, I've got this, and I'm pulling my bootstraps up today, is one of the most insidiously dangerous phrases you could tell yourself. I've got this. Our self-esteem culture teaches us it's all about you. Reach deep inside you and unlock your potential. 
But confidence in yourself, I've got this, is functional atheism. You're living like God doesn't exist. That is a dangerous place to live. 22 verse 19 says this, Proverbs 22, 19. Here's what humble people do. I've instructed you today, even you, so that your confidence may be in the Lord. See, don't hear me wrong. It's not wrong to be confident. It's good, in fact. You can be confident and humble at the same time, though. Being humble does not mean you're shy or you're a quiet wimp. It means your confidence does not come from within. It comes from without. It comes from the Lord. Confidence in the Lord produces way more confidence than anyone can muster up inside themselves. See, as we grow in humility, it means we say, like Randy Shaver says a lot, Lord willing, I'm going to go here and do this. And Lord willing, I'm going to do that. It means taking great risks for the Lord. And depending on his strength as you do it. It means a continual posture of desperate dependence on God. God, if you don't work in and through me here, Jesus, this is not going to work. Confidence in the Lord means doing great things in life. And reminding ourselves over and over, yet not I, but through Christ in me. As we often sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. This wasn't me. It was Jesus working through me. Apart from Jesus and a work of the Holy Spirit, this would have utterly bombed and failed. A couple verses prior to that verse in Jeremiah 17 where it says the heart is deceitful above all things, it says, Jeremiah 17, 7, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. That's where we get our confidence. We don't just get it from the Lord. He is our confidence. So, to end, I wanted to elevate and honor some among us who are leading the way in humility here that you may not have ever even met. So, I'll start with Dave Niebel. So, Dave faithfully runs sound for us and makes all of us sound fantastic up here. And he's done it since day one of our church. And I, he's run sound for years at Cornerstone. I mean, he, he is just an expert at what he does. He's personally trained many other people to run sound here. And he's constantly investing his time, his money, and his energy to make tweaks, to make things better. And when everything goes great, no one notices, right? That's just the nature of, of audio ministry. Is you, it's only when things go wrong that you notice. But when everything goes great, which is almost all of the time, no one notices and other people get the credit for it. So let's honor Dave Nebel this morning. Travis and Heidi Garrett lead the way. 
in humility. So, um, is Heidi serving today? She's, you'll, all right, you'll have to pass this on to her. But um, they're both youth leaders that serve faithfully, connection group leaders. Heidi serves in, in children's ministry, and she loves those teens really, really well. She loves those gals so well. And Travis is a men's ministry leader, home for a while leader. But if you know Travis, he's not shy or quiet, okay? But he is teachable. And he finds his confidence, not in himself, but in the Lord. Let's honor Travis and Heidi this morning. Good. Emily Smith, she was up here earlier, and she leads our women's ministry and does the scheduling and curriculum for our D6 children's ministry week in and week out. She led a super smooth, simple, and effective VBS this summer. She carefully creates lessons and schedules to teach our kids God's word. She diligently leads women in studying the word, all while setting a great example as a mom with her four kids, including twins, um, and puts up with Eric. So, you know. <laughs> so she, she just leads the way in so many areas of, of just humbly serving our church. So let's honor Emily Smith. Uh, Zach and Sarah Moreno. So when, when Zach's not running sound, Sarah's playing keys, and they have two little kids. And so if you've ever had to get little kids ready for church by yourself, that's what they willingly choose to do almost every week so they can tag team each other serving. Sarah also serves on our finance team, and Sarah doesn't just play keys. She helps keep the whole team together and from falling apart. I can honestly say that she saved my butt several times while I've been drumming from playing the wrong thing at the wrong time. So uh, those two are, uh, they also co-lead a connection group with the Palmers. Um, and set a great example for us. So let's honor Zach and Sarah. Let's see, are they, yep. So Otis and Jean Smith. So Otis gets down on the floor and plays with the kids and during VBS volunteers to get wet. I mean, he just, the kids just love, love, love Otis. And Gene keeps things moving and organized and teaches them God's word. And they're just an incredible team together. So let's honor Gene and Otis. And lastly... Um, is my wife, Heather, and I'm not just saying this because she's my wife. So she is a D6 teacher. In fact, that's what she's doing right now um, with the toddlers this morning. And, and she gets up here, sings harmony for worship. She leads our Ignite ministry for third through fifth grade. She helps me lead a connection group, um, led a women's Bible study the last several years, um, but she doesn't do these things. She, has, she actually doesn't do any of them because I asked her to or because she's a pastor's wife. She does them because she loves serving God by serving our church family here in those ways. And, and all of these roles are actually pretty challenging and, and, and hardly get noticed. 
Yet she does them with joy and with confidence in the Lord, all while setting a great example with her four kids. And yes, we didn't have a fourth. (laughs) So let's honor Heather Yoder. And I could go on and on and on. And so I would encourage you, if you think of someone else, you're like, why didn't you include them? Well, there would be my challenge. There's, there's your homework. We got a potluck coming. You got some time. Go up to them and say, hey, you set a great example of humility. Um, and it might be kind of awkward because it's kind of hard to receive, but go for it. It's super encouraging. It does nothing but encourage one another to be more Christ-like. Which leads to my last thought. One final humbling thought for you. So think about this. Jesus, God himself, the only one who has every right to to really not be humble, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. By assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. If he humbled himself, how much more should you and I? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your incredible example of humility. I pray that you would Help us to really listen to your spirit this morning and go, Lord, what what would you have me do? What would just be one small step I could take to being more humbly Christ-like? Forgive us for the times, Lord, where we've just stubbornly, arrogantly made much of us. Where we've not accepted other people's criticism and critique and correction where we've elevated ourselves, Lord, forgive us for those times. Thank you for your grace for those times, Lord. We all have a lot of room to grow in this, Lord. So we thank you for your incredible example. I pray for those in here, maybe just feel rather overwhelmed by all of this, that they would understand, Lord, that your mercy and your grace and your love is brand new this morning. We don't have to, we don't have to be perfect, We're following the perfect one, and you're the one who gives us the strength and the grace to live this out. So give us that strength by your spirit this week, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.